Greetings, Allie. Greetings, Chuck. How are you today? I'm good. Lovely. I'm excited about today. Me too. This is going to be really interesting. Uh, are you ever not excited about one, though? Let's be honest. Well, you have to say you're excited about all of them. I know. So let's maybe come up with something else to say. What's a good way to say it? <laughs> but it is because each one, each one definitely has its own interesting spin on it. When oh. you bring in an expert or um, topic that, you know. Well, we're picking the people, so hopefully we're all one would interested. hope. One, one, one would maybe hope. Not. I'm very interested in today. All right, you say his last name because you, you're going to pronounce it better than me. Knee caps. No, no. Knee case. Knee case. That's oh how God, you remember. That's how you remember how to say. It. <laughs> I remember. No, his uh, it's uh, Dr. Brent Knee case. This is Dr. Brent. Yeah, Dr. Brent Knee case, psychiatrist in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, let's see, uh, University of Southern Mississippi. Uh, grad, uh, let's see, uh, uh, residency training in uh, uh, Medical University Medical Center, and now uh, uh, home and resident of Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Is that right? All right, so this is an interesting paragraph. During his training, Dr. Inge, Dr. Nee Case right, has obtained specialized training in multiple treatment-resistant mental health conditions through medication management neuromodulation, including ECT and TMS, TMS is transcranial magnetic stimulation. Additionally, he has a passion for serving the LGBTQ plus population with acceptance, compassion, and celebration. Uh, he received additional training on providing specialized treatment and evaluation for gender dysphoria, including gender affirming hormone treatments. Oh my gosh, I didn't know all that. Mm-hmm. That was very interesting. And uh, do you have any experience in your therapy practice with the LGBTQ community at all? I do. Okay. But maybe not as intentionally as Brent has thought it out, which is why I'm like kind of clinging to his coattails and excited about today because I'm going to learn a lot. You just said excited. So you're excited about all of them, right? I am. But this one in particular. Maybe a different intro. I got it. Um, Yeah, no. I, so, you know, my practice started about 13 years ago. And I would say about seven years ago, I started having a lot of LGBTQ plus patients and I was not doing any um, promotion for that and so I got kind of overwhelmed and confused as to why they were coming in but I also felt so grateful because it's a population that I care about so much and want to partner with and support and so pretty quickly started getting as much education on how I could be most helpful Um, and it has kind of become a niche of mine okay which I just love. So even though you don't, you didn't go through exhaustive professional training in that yeah, way. Yeah, it wasn't my vision when I started out. Mm-hmm. And I just love how um, if your job is something you're really passionate about, it's really beautiful how it evolves into yeah. its own creation. It kind of knows before you do what you need. That's right. And that's really what happened with this population. And um, I just feel really grateful. Well, clearly you're good at it. So... Um, here we go. I'm excited. Dr. Brent Nickase. Hold on. We'll be right back. From our studios in Nashville, Tennessee, this is Healing Centers, a podcast where we talk to experts and leaders in wellness, mental health, physiology, fitness, nutrition, and any other topic that helps us get through the day with purpose and through our life with long-term success and health. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and please give us five stars wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit our website at www.healingcenters.co to share feedback, suggest future episode topics, and find out more about the people on our podcast. Dr. Brent Nikase. Nikase. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here and taking some time out. You got some transitioning. You got it. You're starting a new practice. Is that right? I am. Well, I'm to use the, the same word. I'm very excited to be See, here. See, there you go. <laughs> We're all just, it's fine. We'll right. keep it. We're all excited. Uh, I am. I have just finished um, my residency or postgraduate training in psychiatry at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. And I'm very thrilled to be uh, starting uh, with an established private practice here in Nashville, Neuroscience and TMS Treatment Centers, as uh, one of their psychiatric providers. And for reference, that's the sponsor of the podcast. And so what we'll do is we have a link on our 
website, healingcenters.co. So if you want to um, see Dr. Nee Case, and I'm going to say Brent from, can I say Brent as well today or Dr. Brent? Can I go one of those places? I answer to all of those. Okay. So it might happen. I may, I may throw out a Brent there from time to time. But anyway, we'll have anybody that wants access to him or more information, then it'll be right there. And uh, so, Allie, you want to get things rolling? What are you thinking? I'm, I'm more. So you go ahead. I thought. Well, you had told me I, there were things I didn't know about. So I, I as soon as I, you yeah, know, as soon as I, as soon as I asked that, I realized I had already. <laughs> I told Allie before we started this that Brent has a really interesting and cool professional journey to get here that I think is fascinating and like I told you he he has met people that people just don't meet and want to hear and so could you before we kind of dig into the details of maybe the the core topic can we just talk about you a little bit and just how you came to psychiatry and your professional journey and personal journey too absolutely I'd be happy to we could start back at the beginning if if that works for everyone like three years old beginning or like after college beginning Let's say high school time. There you go. Go for it. So I grew up in South Mississippi, uh, halfway between Biloxi, Mississippi, and New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, in a very rural area, um, in a very religious area. Um, And as a member of the LGBTQ community myself, grew up not really sure how I fit in, um, you know, hiding a lot um, and struggling uh, with my own identity. Uh, and having grown up in a very religious um, community, uh, after high school, decided to uh, start studying for the ministry um, because that would be a, a way for me to kind of serve other people, but it would be a life that I could live um, that would be, at that time, that I considered acceptable uh, to both myself and my family. Um, and so I spent four years studying for uh, the religious ministry. Um, and then about four years in, um, through some guidance and counseling, uh, actually came to accept my accept me for me, um, uh, and started disclosing details about my life to those who I thought were good friends. Um, but of course, that information uh, eventually got out, um, and had to have a real conversation with myself and with those the powers that be that um, that maybe I should kind of reconsider my, my life passion, my, my direction. And at that time, I decided to leave uh, pursuing the ministry, but wasn't quite sure what my plan B was going to be. So I did a stint in restaurant management for a while, got recruited into banking management, um, uh, where I found myself really thriving with dealing with complicated banking transactions um, that usually had a lot of emotional issues tied to them, dealing with trust accounts, the death of a loved one, mm-hmm. settling estates. So really meeting people on the worst day of their life, yeah. the worst time of their life to kind of figure out um, the details of finances. Um, and really just, you know, when I was studying for the ministry, then working for the bank, even work, when the, the brief stint in the bar management uh, arena, really just meeting people where they are and getting to know people for who they are at wherever they are in life. Um, but uh, having worked in the banking world, 2009, 2010, when, when the financial sector started to destabilize, um, I, I dodged a few rounds of layoffs before finally receiving a, a layoff package and realized, you know, I'm, I'm working too hard to stay employed in an industry that I'm really not passionate about mm-hmm. and decided it's time to reinvent myself. And that's when I decided to re- return to do prerequisites at the University of Southern Mississippi for medical school and then ultimately medical school at um, the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, I went to medical school thinking I was going to specialize in infectious diseases um, because I just thought it was really cool, bacteria, viruses. Mm -hmm. Um, But it wasn't until I got into medical school and on my psychiatry rotation, it was just different because I was meeting people where they are. I was asking questions about who they are, who's important in their lives, what's their goals, dreams, aspirations, their intimate struggles. And I felt like in psychiatry, more so than any of the other medical specialties, I was really getting to know the person where they are and meeting them, knowing who they are and meeting them where they are. And it really, 
kind of felt full circle from the original aspirations I had in life, but also kind of the arenas that I felt like I could bring the most good to other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I decided that psychiatry was the route for me and have not had a moment's regret since then through four years of training at Vanderbilt. Um, During that time, really uh, found myself continuing to be drawn to the LGBTQ population um, because, you know, there's, it's a different set of struggles. Um, Oftentimes they are are overlooked by, uh, by, you know, society or um, a lot of doctors for various reasons. And I felt like this was where I could focus and do the most good um, in people's lives, meeting them where they are. So I feel like in many ways I've come full circle. Yeah. Well, welcome. That's great. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I love that. So you met some people along the way, did you not? I did. I've met a, I've met a number of people along the way. Uh, probably the most uh, famous is uh, Pope John Paul II uh, when I was studying for the ministry. Um, what? I, did, I know, yeah. right? Yep. He's I, got a picture too. I do. I was uh, 18 years old. It was, uh, no, sorry, 20 years old. It was the Jubilee year in Rome. Um, and the group that I was with uh, received a, uh, a private audience with him um, at that time. December 23rd, 2000. Oh my gosh, that's such a doctor for you that he remembers the date. It's a, it's a pretty it's momentous occasion, is it not? I yeah, mean, that's was, awesome. I would mark that. The day before Christmas Eve <clears throat> is how I remember. Mm-hmm. That is so cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I am so grateful that you have found your way to Nashville for my own selfish reasons. And really grateful you found your way to Neuroscience and TMS mm-hmm. Center because, again, because of them sponsoring us, I tend to know a lot about the practitioners there and. Um, it takes a lot of trust on my end to um, refer a client for things. And so I have really, really trusted this practice and have been grateful to be able to refer. And um, especially when I found out you were coming on, I got even more excited because I feel like I was saying in the beginning, there's a lot of people that are out of my bandwidth, but I have so much um, desire to pour into them. And so to have somebody who can educate me and also, um, I know it's just going to really take care of them is something that I get really excited about. Mm-hmm. So can I ask some questions? Go for it. So I think this has always been a population that um, has been ostracized, so much judgment. But I feel like we're in a really interesting political climate right now mm-hmm. where um, maybe viewpoints on the LGBTQ plus value systems, all of that have become so polarized. And so um, I think because of that, I just, anyway, I could, I feel so much empathy and, and also interest because when I first began working with these people, what I found is the more educated I got, the less of an opinion I had about any of it. And I really wonder so often if so much of the hatred and judgment and polarization is just a lack of education. What does that mean when you said? And not a lack of education like a Democratic education or a Republican education, Mm -hmm. but just like, okay, I mean, I have parents who come in all the time right now. And I kind of fit more in this category than a younger category at this stage of my life, which is really weird for me. (laughs) But they come in and they're like, my kid is saying that they're non-binary and I have no idea what that means. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget the first parent who told me and I looked at them and said, to be completely honest, I don't either, (laughs) but I'm going to find out. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you could spend even a moment just kind of giving us some of the evolution that's happened really in recent years, Mm -hmm. from my understanding about some of these different identifying roles and helping people who are maybe in an older generation to even just know the baseline, like vocab definitions. Is that an appropriate way to ask? Absolutely. Okay. So the, f- the first thing I want to throw out is no two people are alike. Right. Regardless. Everyone has their own individual experience um, and life, life path and how they identify. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can talk in themes, but these may or may not apply to each individual and mm-hmm. may on varying degrees. Um, and with all of this, the important thing is to 
again, be open, try to understand people's other people's point of views, um, and and just try to refrain from judging. But in terms of of, um, of kind of the terminology, um, historically we have always talked about gen- thought about gender in the binary, which means two. There's male, and there's female, um, and that is how historically we all as a society viewed gender. What we have come to know through talking to many, many people and doing studies and looking at even the genetics behind it and the hormones behind it, that like many things, gender exists on a spectrum, just like light exists on a spectrum and it changes from one color to another. Um, There's not just white light and and black light. There is a array of colors that make up light. Um, Gender is the same way, that it's not just male or female. There is just a a blending along a a complete spectrum from one extreme to the other. Um, In that there are a minority of people, but this is very much true for them, that they don't exist in either extreme completely male or completely female. some people identify as completely male. However, anatomically, they were born female and vice versa. Um, some people, while they may have been born anatomically male or anatomically female, they don't identify as either gender. They kind of feel like they exist in a no man's land in the middle where they are either, they're neither male nor female or they feel like they are equally male and equally female. Um, therefore, they would refer to themselves as non-binary. I'm not falling on either end of the spectrum. I'm right in the middle. Mm-hmm. That's such a great explanation. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to send parents to this podcast already because that's, well, that's way also, easier than what I have tried to explain it. But even even all you're doing is, is and correct me if I'm wrong, but but you're just... You're, you're still not necessarily answering for someone looking for a concrete answer. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's not a concrete answer. But, but we have, or for example, uh, honed it in, if you will, to um, a frame of reference that, that might make it a little bit more understandable uh, by saying non-binary. That we still don't, you know, there's still some gray area depending on where you are. Or maybe, it's, or is it just more the, personal's, the person's uh, preference to not be dis, you know distinguished in one category or the other, for example. Right. A lot of these labels are um, specific to how the individual feels the language most uh, describes their experience. Okay. Um, and so what I do is I use I, I don't volunteer the these title these labels or this terminology with patients unless they have they volunteer it and say I feel like I am. A trans female. I feel like I am trans masculine. I feel like I'm non-binary. I feel like I'm gender queer. A lot of these words all overlap in meaning, or, or even the same meaning. But it really depends on how the individual feels language best captures their experience. So I meet the individuals where they are and use the language that they are comfortable with mm-hmm. um, to describe their experiences and try not to as an external person, place a, a label onto someone. Yeah, that's so So, good. so to, to answer your, your question, Chuck, there is no concrete answer uh, with this. A, a lot of caring for the LGBTQ population is embracing all different shades of gray mm-hmm. um, and just being flexible and letting people disclose who they are and just being open to, to allowing people the, the space to do that safely. Okay. I think something I have found in my own process is um, in embracing this fluidity, I think I realized that a lot of what I was claiming was maybe a value system of mine was actually my fear of letting go of control. And I find that to be in line with a lot of parents that I see. And I think for me, I feel like it's important for me to say, I have so much empathy and compassion for the parents coming in with these kiddos as well. 
And I think, again, from that education perspective, that trying to not polarize perspective, I think that's one of the best things that we can do as a community is to not say that we're choosing to support the this part of the family or this, but to say, like, we can have compassion and empathy and encouragement and support for both of you. Mm-hmm. And I think I really value that in you as well, that you think about the significant partners or parents or siblings that are going along this journey as well, that maybe they didn't choose it. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of grief that comes with that. And it's not necessarily shaming the individual. It's just their own process. Right. It's, you know, it's sometimes it's very difficult to put ourselves in the shoes of someone else when their experience is so starkly different from our own. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that takes lots of practice and lots of um, failings in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I find myself um, still uh, on occasion using um, um, wrong gendered pronouns with mm-hmm. some of my patients, and I am always quick to catch it. I am always quick to apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, and continue to reaffirm that I'm, I'm, I'm going to continue to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's true with the people in our, our transgender patients' lives is that as long as you're showing an effort mm-hmm. and you try mm-hmm. and you're, you're um, approaching them with a spirit of love and acceptance and ca- genuine care, that those types of mistakes happen our patients understand that they happen mm-hmm. and they, they can move forward and continue to foster the relationship. It's when we become mm-hmm. rigid and um, just refuse to compromise and draw lines in the sand is when those relationships are uh, become in, in many cases, not in all cases, but in many cases damaging mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, um, having lasting effects on some of our patients' lives. Yeah. In that vein, can I, I would love to ask a question about that from, if it, I I keep talking about parents because that's who I Mm -hmm. see the most, but I think it's important to kind of categorize as just like the significant people and maybe the patient's life because it could be a partner, it could be a sibling, et cetera. But if they are coming from a very traditional conservative um, background, Mm -hmm. What would you say to them about how, when I think a question that comes up a lot is how do I hold true to myself and my own values Mm -hmm. and also love and support? Mm -hmm. It's difficult. And I Mm -hmm. I don't know that I have, um, have the answer. Um, and it's, and it's, it's a different answer for each family dynamic, each relationship. Um, but really, at the end of the day, it all has to be rooted in love and genuine care and concern mm-hmm. um, and humility to say that, yeah. yes, I have these d- deeply held beliefs, whether they're political or religious or just traditional, um, and say that this loved one is having a different experience that I may or may not understand and may or may not ever be able to understand but show them enough love and trust that they are living their life the way that, that they best see fit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and just, again, you may not agree, but continuing to show love, support, care, as they try to figure out what is oftentimes very difficult um, dynamics, both internally and socially, uh, in their lives. It's a very, very difficult time. And just, um, you know, really just being present, mm-hmm. um, and being open and, and withholding judgment mm-hmm. goes such a long way. I think it really does. I love that you said humility because I think one of the best gifts that we can give, and again, this is talking from an outsider, so maybe it's not, is to say, to be honest, I'm really, confused about how to hold my values and give you this love that I know I have for you. And I'm going to mess this up because I'm just confused and I'm trying to understand. And it feels scary to me. And I'm realizing a lack of control versus kind of doubling down in one area as a way to make your own internal self feel safe. But yet, um, 
the words of I love you, but I'm doubling down really are not love. It's more of that working with, I think, and saying, I'm going to mess it up. I am confused. I feel vulnerable here too, but I am with you in this process and I'm going to do my own curious dance here and see how it evolves. Yes. That, that, that vulnerability goes two ways. Mm -hmm. Um, saying this is new for me. Mm -hmm. I am going to make mistakes, but I'm going to try Mm -hmm. goes such a long way. Um, in people's lives, um, knowing that their loved ones l- love them enough to do that, mm-hmm. to be vulnerable and say, I don't know the way, mm-hmm. but I'm going to walk with you. Lead me. Yeah. Show me how I can support you. Gosh, that's so good. As far as I think one of the things that maybe people worry about is the struggles that come with an LGBTQ plus person that others don't and not wanting their loved ones to experience that. Mm -hmm. I know you said something at the beginning about they have their own um, mental health, you know, statistics and issues that maybe somebody else doesn't. And I would love for you to tell us and educate us some on what might be different for them and what their needs are than someone else. Sure. Um, not to get too uh, granular in the percentage as, um, but what we do know from studies across the board that's been repeated year over year through multiple um, um, organizations is that um, the LGBTQ plus population experiences mental health uh, disorders at significantly higher rates than the general population, um, including general ang- generalized anxiety, major depression, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. They, they have much higher incidences of um, experiencing traumatic um, events in their lives, um, much higher incidences of uh, substance use disorders, including alcohol, um, much higher um, incidences of significant suicidal um, thoughts uh, and suicide attempts. Um, just across the board, uh, mental health disorders are two to three times higher in a, the LGBTQ population than in the general population. Um, a, a lot of this stems from internalized fear growing up, not feeling like you belong, um, feeling like uh, you know, you're not going to be accepted by society. In many cases, I think it's um, 75% of the LGBTQ population, so three out of four people, have experienced overt discrimination because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, and, and we know that when it's coming from family, that it's much worse. Um, there was a study out of San Francisco State University recently that uh, showed that LGBTQ individuals who were rejected by their parents and or caregivers were eight times more likely to attempt suicide. Hmm. They were six times more likely to meet criteria for major depression. They were three times more likely to use illegal substances, and they were at a three-time higher risk of contracting HIV or other uh, sexually transmitted infections. Gosh. Just with that one factor on whether or not they were uh, rejected by their, their parents or their caregivers over their gender identity or sexual orientation. Yeah. So the best thing that any of us can do is to support mm-hmm. those people in our lives who are members of the LGBTQ community um, because it can have a very, very lasting impact on their quality of life. Absolutely. And again, not to get too in the weeds with it or opinionated with it. I'm trying really hard to stay um, without an opinion in here. But when you said that about internalized fear growing up, it made me think about our podcast a few weeks ago with Paris Goodyear Brown about, and she was teaching us on the polyvagal system, Mm -hmm. which I think is so incredibly fascinating and the vagus nerve and how it changes your entire nervous system. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that I hear from parents a lot is, you know, they've always been depressed. So I think that's why they are changing their identity because they're searching. And I'm like, well, maybe they've always been depressed because they've had this internalized fear from a very young age Mm -hmm. And so it's not the depression is causing this identity crisis, but maybe that's always ha- that always has been their core sense of self. Mm-hmm. And fighting that internalized fear has changed their biology and their 
system. Their nervous system is different because of it. And so I really encourage parents when they go there to say, absolutely, is there, has there never been a person who has thought that out of a place of depression? Of course there has. But is it the first answer? I really encourage you not to think that because, yeah. again, there's so much science behind this that we don't, we're not educated on. And I think if we were, it wouldn't feel so scary and overwhelming. Yeah, one of the things that sets the LGBTQ population or um, sexual orientation and, and gender identity minorities apart from other minorities is that we can't look to our biological family mm-hmm. as a source of support mm-hmm. because of our minority status. So, you know, if, if we're a, a member of a minority race, we can typically look to our family mm-hmm. to support us through the difficulties that arise out of that minority status because they have also experienced that. Mm-hmm. Or if it's a religious minority, we can look to our parents. Typically, we, share the same, we would share the same religious upbringing. We can look to them for support. Um, but for members of the uh, LGBTQ community, typically their parents are not also um, uh, a member of the community. So they, they are not able to look to their biological family oftentimes for that understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, because the experiences are different. And so they, they find that support. If they d- aren't able to find that support at home, they have to go and look at, for that support elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's, it's unique um, with that population because, like you said, that internalized fear because you're growing up and I'm not like my parents. I'm not like my siblings. I'm not like the people around me. And I care about them and I don't want to hurt them. Right. And so I want to, maybe I can figure this out on my own. Yep. And it'll kind of go away or... Absolutely. That, that, that questioning constantly, where do I fit in? What is safe to say? What is not safe to say? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, f- from early age, just being told, you know, boys don't play with Barbie dolls. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that can be, um, you know, that, that can have a huge impact on the level of that fear and discomfort from an early age. Yeah. Can, okay, so this I feel like a little bit more nervous to ask. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I feel safe with you, so I'm going to. But maybe listeners might get offended. Okay, so if you're coming from a more liberal standpoint mm-hmm. as a perspective, what would you say to those people about how to support? Um, ask questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, engage with a supportive or understanding um, mental health provider, mm-hmm. uh, therapist. Um, and um, if there's... Even medical professionals, because if, you know, you, you, specifically if you're dealing with like a, a transgendered youth, mm-hmm. um, there are medical options that can be used to kind of put the pause button on mm-hmm. um, sexual development mm-hmm. until the, uh, the, the patient or the young person reaches an age of majority, mm-hmm. so an age of consent and an age of certainty on who they are mm-hmm. and what direction they want to take with their lives. Um, so you can, you can just put a, a temporary pause on things to allow for that. Um, but that does take a supportive family engaging with appropriate medical professionals and therapists to, to successfully and safely implement that. Yeah. So this, okay, this is a little bit more unfiltered. But that didn't sound like an answer no, for. So can I push it a little that bit didn't more? sound like an answer for liberal. It sounded like yeah. an answer for everybody. That's just the way to do it. It, it, it is. It sounded like it. It is. Um, but in my experience, it is the more liberal um, parents who would follow that um, that route for their young patient or young transgender um, children. Yep. At this point, I would encourage that. For everyone, mm-hmm. um, but in kind of currently, the, the the patients who are utilizing those services tend to be more liberal leaning. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so this is a little bit more of a press, sure, and a little bit more unfiltered. So maybe we will edit this one. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a little nervous. Okay, so this is. I would say sometimes people are so intentional about affirming and supporting. Mm-hmm that maybe there aren't as many questions because they want to skip over the discomfort of that to just like straight to, yes, we are so great with you doing this, this, or this at nine years old, 11 years old, 12 years old. And I think because we have 
this other polarized side, we've talked about the conservative side, this other polarized side that's so affirming, sometimes, again, we lack the education and the pause to know about brain development Mm -hmm. and identity exploration. And, like, I've had several patients who have said that they were lesbian, non-binary. Now they're back to, which I know you can be both those at the same time, Mm -hmm. by the way, back to feeling full female and heterosexual. Sure. And I've had parents say, I really regret that I didn't know more when they first said this at 11 because I wanted them to feel so loved that then they kind of have had some socially traumatizing experiences as they have shifted in these various identities. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, I wonder about, to me, the answer is balance Mm -hmm. to make sure that we are supportive and curious and loving and willing to go on the journey, but also are able to say, hey, this could totally be this. It could also be this. Mm -hmm. Can we hold both and like talk about all the things that are happening in your body, not just the sexuality? But I don't know if that is appropriate or not. Right. You you have to meet people where they are. Right. Regardless of of age. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, it is a journey. Mm -hmm. So... You know, if you're trying to be affirming, that that is great. We want to, we want to affirm our patients, our, especially our young patients, but they still have to lead. We have to follow their lead. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the patients lead, or the the patient lead. So if there's you know a, a young person who is saying, I, th- I think I'm a lesbian, uh, I think I'm non-binary, as you mentioned, um, but then a year, two years later, they're like. Mm, Maybe I'm not a lesbian. Maybe I'm more bisexual or mm-hmm. just flexible in general. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to be the one leading. Mm-hmm. So even though we're affirming and supporting as parents or as loved ones, we we have to allow them to lead and declare who they are and trust them that they know themselves better than we know them mm-hmm. and not insist one way or the other that we know what's best for them or we know what's true for them but but to Allie's point I think this is what I heard you say is is to give uh, especially a young person because I think that's that's a sensitive topic anyway right no matter what that that you're giving them space to change their mind um, uh, understand themselves and grow and to your point uh, you know um, you know it's not like you're making immediate hard choice decisions immediately but maybe just a pause mm-hmm. Maybe just a pause and 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 give give the young person um, some space to consider, you know, and think. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think one of the conclusions I have come to in that is, oh, that might be traumatizing socially. That might be hard. Guess what? They could say heterosexual, the most masculine quarterback, football player, whatever you want to say that you're envisioning for your child, possibly they're still going to have socially traumatizing experiences. Mm -hmm. And so maybe this feels like something you can pinpoint and try to protect from. But the reality is they're just growing up. Their brain is just developing. And Mm -hmm. so if they are to change down the road in their development, identity, exploration, that's okay. Mm -hmm. And the ultimate fear of that is, you know, they'll say, I'm just scared they're going to change their mind. I'm like, okay, they will. And they might say, oh, that was part of my journey that was hard. Just like somebody else in a category that you might say would never have anything hard is going to have hard. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to watch loved ones have hard. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that we don't prevent, that we try to prevent it from happening, rather embracing the hard with them, mm-hmm. regardless of what that looks like, I think. A- absolutely. Again, meeting people where they are sh- without judgment and with genuine concern. I know that I've said that a few times, but at the end of the day, that's what it all comes down to. Yeah. And I think meeting people where they are, one of the hardest things about that, maybe we might mentally say, I'm doing that. But to me, that looks like I'm going to walk it with you, regardless of what comes. Mm -hmm. Not just saying, I will listen to you empathetically, but if you have hard, I'll have hard too. Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to feel that with you um, because I care and love so much. And that, it, that in and of itself is the definition of unconditional love. Yeah. 
And I think when we try to protect ourselves and love at the same time, that's when things get harmful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Love very much involves that, that hard together. Mm-hmm. Like you're experiencing hard. I'm going to experience it with you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to put up those walls and not experience the hard with our loved one is very, very difficult. And that's where issues arise. Or try to, mm-hmm. if paraphrasing, um, keep the hard from happening. Try to will the hard from not happening. Right. And I'm a parent. I'll protect you. I'll, I'll join the PTO. I'll coach your team and make you the quarterback, you know, or whatever. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. It versus, you know, hard's going to end. And if you don't learn how to handle hard, what's what's the biggest determinant of success? You ever heard this Failure. one? It's a, well, th- that is too, but uh, grit. 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 Well, yeah. That's and just grit comes through your a- yeah. a- ability to grind it out and overcome, you know, you may not be the most talented uh, person, but if you work the hardest, mm-hmm. you're going to, you're going to get there and you'll probably exceed everybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not to uh, derail from the original sure. conversation, but I think just the point about um, working with or being in the space of, of going through their trouble, mm-hmm. you know, versus trying to manage it mm-hmm. uh, uh, or will it to be different, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. What do you see as kind of the future? What are you hoping the future will look like for this, for this population, this minority that doesn't have the ability to look back and see, you know, um, people in their family or, and are so ostracized often? What, where are we hoping we can continue to develop and grow? Um, my hope is that as a whole society will get to the place where these are non-issues and that people are accepted for who they are as an individual, regardless of sexual orientation, gender identity, religion, race, any of the political affiliation, any of those labels Mm -hmm. uh, or buckets that categorize us, that those become less meaningful Mm -hmm. um, in just our genuine concern for each other. And that's kind of pie in the sky hope for our our future. Uh, In terms of this population, I feel like we are very much moving in the right direction in terms of mental health care and traditional health care, medical care, and starting to understand, starting to study, starting to offer um, affirming treatments um, for all of these issues and taking, taking the individual's experience and journey and path into account. Um, however, the current political climate that we're in and the various states that are proposing, um, a number of, um, laws that would limit access to that medical treatment is very, very concerning Mm -hmm. to, um, to members of the LGBTQ community. Um, I recently have seen a, 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 quite a handful of patients who are starting to experience significant anxiety and panic over, the public discourse on um, transgender laws affecting transgender individuals. Um, um, also with the fact that there's some concern that marriage equality could be undone by a Supreme court decision. I, I'm not saying that it will, but there's a lot of fear that's starting to surface in the population. Um, a, a, uh, a 2022 study by the Trevor project uh, indicated that 94% of the LGBT population have indicated that they are experiencing a negative mental health impact from the recent political discourse on these issues. There's an argument that quite a few people have had negative political or negative impact from the political discourse right now. Gosh, when you feel like you're targeted minority, I just get so angry when I hear that statistic. It should not be something that's on your plate. And I'm really sorry that it is. Mm -hmm. Well, not to get political, but the only solution I think anybody has is to vote and get get active. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's where your real power is. But let me ask you guys a question. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn the tables just a little bit. And that I got both of you guys here. That so I'm a conservative parent or a liberal parent or I'm a young person or young adult who is contemplating uh, some sort of transition for whatever reason. What is the difference in uh, service offerings from a medical doctor 
versus a therapist, both extremely experienced, very successful, very helpful. Um, and I'm sure there's overlap, right? But what, you know, when would one say, man, I really want to reach out to Allie or maybe somebody Allie would recommend or, or Dr. Nikes or someone he would recommend medically, you know, where, where do we draw the line on that? Or is there just go anywhere, just find somebody that you trust and then start there. What's, you know, what would you guys recommend? I'll let you, I can go first if you want me to, but I would love to hear what you have to say. I think, um, I think it's typical maybe of somebody else that comes in and, um, you know, I, I would see a therapist role as really getting to the root of personal experiences and trauma and having a safe space where you can explore that. And, um, I really hope that I can help people with their past as well as can I give them a light for where we're going in the future. I think, I refer out to doctors all the time because there's so much evidence that shows if you are, if your kind of panic button in your brain is on fire enough, it doesn't matter how much I'm walking the journey with you, you're still going to feel depressed or you're still going to feel anxious. And I can't facilitate that um, kind of changing the chemistry in your brain, helping you with that piece of it. And so I think they are helping with, like the internal biological piece of it. And I'm kind of helping with um, maybe more of the narrative in your life, I guess. But I also think it's really hard to find a doctor who helps with the medication side of it or the TM, whatever it is, and hold your narrative. And I think if you can find that doctor. Do we know one? do he's here that is but seriously that really is a gold mine and i think it's really unfortunate that healthcare has gotten to the place that that is rare but i see i would be so interested at some point for me to take the time to do the data on all my patients that i've seen and however many you know 14 15 years of the ones who had medical care from a doctor that really genuinely cared and one who was saying, oh, depression, this is what our latest pharmaceutical rep said is great, and you're out there. Right. I guarantee They brought us you, good lunch last week, so yeah, let's try that one. I guarantee you it is shockingly different. Mm-hmm. And I would not have thought that before I started in this job, but I think that's why, yes, you technically hold the piece of medicine or whatever, but really your role is so much bigger than that because two doctors can give the same medication and I always see a different result from patients who have a doctor who is meeting them where they're at. Mm-hmm. Ab- absolutely. So I have been trained in what is called the biopsychosocial mm-hmm. model of mental illness where... Biopsychosocial assessment. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Seven pages long. I can tell you every piece of it. <laughs> absolutely. So... You know, each of us is an individual that is comprised of influences from our biology that we inherited from our family, from the the psychological piece on our ability to cope with the emotions and the emotions that we do experience, and then the social aspect and the or the experiences that we had growing up and in, even into adulthood. Um, you know, primarily I do medication management and and uh, interventional treatments, like we mentioned earlier, ECT, TMS. Um, ECT and TMS. Um, but, you know, I, I also am a big proponent that medications are not the sole answer, that we have no magic pill. We don't. Um, and that we do have to meet people where they are. We have to understand their story. And a lot of the times, I, I don't have the expertise or the time to devote to fully exploring those stories. So I encourage all of my patients to seek out um, a therapist that they have good rapport with and good trust with in addition to medication management. The evidence shows that medications can get us so far, therapy alone can get us so far, but when we combine the two treatments that the patients do significantly much better and they have much better quality of life. Um, So I, I am a firm proponent with all of my patients, both therapy and medication. Doesn't, doesn't, 
then as a doctor, don't you do therapy as well? I know there's you may not have as much time, for example, as may, maybe Allie or another therapist might. So that's a limiting factor in, in, in and of itself. But is that part of the Correct. Yes. equation? So, so um, I, I do implement some, some therapeutic or psychotherapeutic practices within an appointment. Um, but there's a lot more to discuss, and we, we uh, I don't typically do the more specialized, uh, full-blown therapy mm-hmm. treatments like uh, cognitive behavioral therapy or acceptance and commitment therapy, um, or even um, things like uh, eye movement, rapid desensitization, right. which can be used to process traumatic memories. Um, so, for, so for those specific types of therapy that I feel like would be helpful for patients, I would typically refer them out to a, a therapist that I know would be accepting and who is uh, certified to do those treatments. But I am educated enough in all of those treatments and how they work and what they're used for so that I can make good recommendations to patients in terms of this is the treatment I think would be helpful for you and this is someone that I would trust to refer you to to do to do those treatments. Yeah, and, and if someone's really in their early exploration mm-hmm. mode, um, to a certain degree, they don't really, they don't know what they're looking for yet. Right. I don't know if I need medicine. I don't know if I need therapy. So um, is it fair to say, why don't you just start with someone you know is good and trust mm-hmm. and then go from there? Because clearly both you guys, we're sitting at, them, sitting at the table and both you guys are saying, make sure you're referring to the other one because that's, that's really what's going to do. Uh, best I would for care. say if a professional isn't encouraging the other one, that should be a red flag, mm-hmm. honestly, yeah. because yeah. that to me shows um, either a lack of education or too much um, confidence in themselves. And I mean, I just think, or from a, from a, from a money standpoint, because I run that side of the business is, uh, um, you know, there's a selfish motive to just locking a patient in for a long term. <laughs> because, you know, oh, great, that's that's an hourly rate I can get all the time. And that's, you know, if you're seeing that kind of person, then that's, that's probably and a flag too, I'm sure. This is kind of a rabbit trail, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think a lot of times therapists, um, without even intentionality around it possibly, can shame you into um, not seeing somebody for medication because they are like, oh, once you start it, you know, you can't stop, or I really think we can hold the work that you need to do in here, and let's try all these tactics before we do that, mm-hmm. versus then it kind of feels like once you get to that phase, you've already failed at some point, and mm-hmm. so a lot of people grit and bear it through the whole their whole life, yep. versus saying like, hey, no, actually, let's try this, yep. and if it doesn't work, then you find out you do just do therapy or something, but I think as therapists, gosh, I wish that we could change our language. I agree with you hundred percent. And I think, and, and I'm sure I know for a fact, I've seen the numbers, but, but your, for example, your, th- that, that your population, if you're that type of uh, therapist or doctor who, who does openly refer and I don't, I want you to get, well, I don't want to keep seeing you just get well. <laughs> your business, there is so much mental health business mm-hmm. in the world that you will be more busy just having that passion for getting people well mm-hmm. than trying to hold on too tightly. Uh, I think that's very well put, Allie. I, I'm a big proponent for you know patient autonomy. I can sit and discuss all of my recommendations, the pros and cons of all of them. At the end of the day, the individual patient makes the decision on what's right for them. And if they want to give therapy a good go before starting a medication, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. If they want to try a medicine before getting into therapy, I will support them on that. Um, but I will make sure that they understand my recommendation is using both practices together. But if we want to start with one and then, and then reevaluate, I think that's, that's a great approach because again, at the end of the day to, to, to Chuck's statement, my goal is that you get well and you have a good quality of life um, regardless of how we get there. And I'm going to support you in that because my goal is that we get you to a place that you're not having to come in and see the psychiatrist uh, once a month or your therapist twice a week. Like, let's work through this to get you to a place where your quality of life is maintained um, and, and you, can, you can live the life that you want. Um, the other piece, just to kind of add to that, is, is kind of what I share with most of my patients is that, again, as I mentioned earlier, there is no magic pill. There's no medication that I can give that's going to take away someone's life experiences, their emotions, um, kind of the, the negative thoughts that they may have about themselves. 
But what the medication can do is it can turn down the volume of those emotions to where they are more able to do the hard work that's required to, um, to develop their coping skills and to deal with their past through therapy. So it can make the therapy more effective because, the, the, again, the volume of what they're experiencing internally can be dialed down. It won't be taken away, but it would be less intense. Yeah. I have a feeling we're going over, but can I ask one more question? Yes, ma'am. I've, um, something that I hear a lot is how can I find an LGBTQ affirming professional, therapist, doctor, whatever. Every time it makes me kind of twitch because I'm like, well, if somebody's in that profession, then ethically we all should be. <laughs> Correct. Anybody who comes into my office should never know my political stance, my thoughts on marriage or divorce or whatever. Like we're affirming of you. And where you're at. But I guess there are a lot that aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't understand that piece of it. But can you speak to how you can go about finding somebody who is versus like, I would say when I first started seeing people, I was absolutely affirming. But did I have any like letters behind my name that could show that? I didn't. And so I think that can be difficult to find. Very much so. Um you know, I am a healthcare professional. I'm very much dialed into the healthcare community. And this is something that I struggle with my own personal life is to find um, uh, affirming primary care doctors, mental health providers. Um, so I, I, I don't have the answer uh, because I don't know that there is a good answer. Um, there are a few places to look. Um, there's the Gay, the Gay and Lesbian Medical Association, GLMA, uh, that you can go to their website. Um, providers who are LGBTQ affirming can register there um, in their database so that you could search that. Uh, if you're looking specifically for a therapist, um, psychologytoday.com has a search function where you can um, search for uh, therapists who uh, report that they are LGBTQ affirming um, under the criteria that you search. Uh, And then for those in the Middle Tennessee area, Vanderbilt has a program called Trans Buddies, uh, which you can Google their their phone number and their website. Um, And even if you're not within the Vanderbilt uh, University Medical Center system, they are dedicated to helping all transgender patients. um, And they have a list of providers within and without uh, um, Vanderbilt that they can provide information across specialties, across mental health and medical health of providers that they have identified in the Middle Tennessee area that are, uh, that are affirming. Um, and so they, they, will, um, they can help with that. Allie, did you ask that question to set me up? No. I think you did. <laughs> I didn't. But right. tell me how I Self, set you up. Self-promotion. Mm-hmm. So what Allie and I have done is just for that very reason. Oh, my gosh, that was so smart of me. We, I just realized what I did. <laughs> we have created uh, a couple of links on our website. Uh, one is to our, our main sponsor, Neuroscience, which you can find these awesome folks on immediately. So if you love them or just want to know more, then click them. That's the Neuroscience and TMS Treatment Center. But there's also a, a much more, I would say, um, selective, uh, uh, high-level uh, therapist referral site uh, within our site, which are basically people that Allie and I have have uh, uh, know, um, selected, trust, and uh, certainly can be searched, similar to Psychology Today, but that is a massive database. Mm-hmm. And what we're talking about is a very selective local database, which so if I could also recommend, go to healingcenters.co and check those two links out. I am so proud of myself. <laughs> you I did it on no, purpose. I know I you did it no on idea. purpose. I was like, what am I setting you up You for? did it on purpose. I wasn't sure where you were going, then I realized it. All right, we got to okay. go. Say Thanks something so cool much. for uh, uh, for Dr. Nikase, and then... I'm excited about Dr. Nikase. I'm excited, too. About next three of us. Thank you for coming. Absolutely. Thank right. you. We're out. We invite you to become part of our growing Healing Centers community. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Visit us at healingcenters.co 
for the most current social links and information. Share comments and feedback on our website. Let us know what topics interest you and what guests you want us to invite on the show. If you are in the healing business as a therapist, doctor, or other wellness expert, please let us know who you are and your specialty. We'd love to be able to connect our listeners to great professionals like you. www.healingcenters.co Follow us, join us, and grow with us.